Well, if you'll turn with me this morning uh, in your copy of God's Word to Psalm 145. It's Psalm 145. It's page 524 on the Bibles in the, in the rows. Uh, again, if you don't have a copy of your own, uh, feel free to take one of those. Um, feel free to follow along with that. I, I find it always a good habit to, even if the words are on the screen, uh, to follow alone, uh, along in a copy of God's Word. So Psalm 145 this morning. Hear the word of the Lord. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him and to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Grass withers and the flower fades. The word of our God will abide forever. Let's pray. Father, Would you open our eyes and our hearts, open our eyes to to see your word and open our hearts and unite our hearts to fear your name this morning for your glory, for our good and joy, Lord, work. May your spirit fill me that I would speak your words, your words clearly, words of truth, words that you use to penetrate the heart and encourage us and call us to you. Father, be glorified this morning, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this is probably one of my favorite psalms, uh, which is actually a little difficult for me to do because I have a lot of favorites in the Psalter. But this one has such a wonderful emphasis, as you just heard, and one in particular that I've been thinking about a good bit as of late. Uh, you know, actually, in fact, this, this message is almost like the prologue before the introduction in a book, which the introduction will be next week for our upcoming sermon series that I'm starting next week um, called Knowing God, Growing in Doctrine and Devotion. It will be a study on the the character and attributes of God. Um, And so I'm really looking forward to, to getting into that. This psalm in particular is actually the last of the Psalms of David in the Psalter, which isn't that hard because there's only five more beyond this. Um, But it is the last of his Psalms. It's very clearly a song of praise. The the title actually says that, uh, a song of praise of David. Now this text looks back and reflects on the person and work of God. And it's in many ways, 
it's, it's looking back, but it's, it's an overflow of the meditative life of David, of his experiences, of, of what he's known of God, of considering and lingering upon the nature of God. And, and from that, he bursts into praise as he considers who God is. And I think this, this psalm is highly instructional for us in many ways. Now, the text is it's a little bit challenging. It doesn't break down as easy as some others. Um, part of that is the subject matter, but also part of that is the, the structure of the poem. Um, it's an acrostic. So the, the beginning of every verse starts with the next successive letter in Hebrew. We, we don't see that very well in English, um, but it's there. Um, th- this type of structure was probably done to aid memorization. Um, that was one of the probably the, the key reasons, much like, you know, it, it's easier to remember poetry than prose. It's easier to remember song lyrics than uh, your car's owner's manual. Um, it's just a lot easier to remember that. But I think this structure also points, um, by doing the acrostic, it's, it's the completeness of the subject matter. It's exhausted the, the alphabet in many ways. Uh, and it adds artistry and beauty to this psalm. And that complexity draws out the truth, I think, in a, in a bit more grand of a fashion, at least if we know it, even though we can't see that same kind of artistry in English. But just because there's some complexity in the Hebrew doesn't mean that it needs to be complex as we look through it this morning. And so I want to help us see the truth as simply as possible uh, and in a manner that is clear and easy to remember. So there's just two simple points. The first one is a summons to praise, verses 1 to 3, and then really the last verse of the psalm. And in between all of that is the subject of praise. So we have summons to praise and the subject of praise, and that subject is mixed masterfully with reasons to praise. So let's again look back at the text, verses 1 to 3. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. Now when you look at that, the, the word that I would use to, to kind of describe those verses are intention. Um, not tension, but intention, that he's intent on this. Okay, he's resolved, he's purposed, he's endeavoring in all of life to do this. Now, now what is the this? It's to extol, to bless, to praise. They're all really synonymous for the same basic exercise. It's magnifying God for who he is and the work he has done in his creation and for his creatures. It's giving him the praise, the honor, the glory that is his due. David is not paying lip service here. This is his intention for every day. It is forever and ever. We see that repeated twice in the span of two verses. He knows that this is to be a significant aspect of his life. He's he's made to praise the Lord as we all are. Isaiah 43, 21. The people whom I form for myself, that they may declare my praise. It's our chief end to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And you know, when you think about praise... Praise in many ways is quite natural, isn't it? It, it, it should be. It, it, it is kind of an overflow. It's, we praise what we perceive or what uh, we know to be excellent. We praise what is praiseworthy, or at least what we believe to be praiseworthy. If we come across something we find exceptional, we often break into praise. People at a movie theater, if it's just this phenomenal movie that's stirring, you will hear 
applause at the end of the, at the movie. Or maybe in, a, in another way you'll hear just silence as people just take it in. At a symphony, a masterpiece of music is played, wonderfully conducted, and the people will stand and give a standing ovation because they, they, they recognize something breathtaking there. We applaud skill in sports and on and on. We tell others. It, it comes naturally to us. We, we naturally want to tell others about what is amazing. And so David is intentionally verbalizing his praise of that which is most praiseworthy, the sovereign God, the creator, the king. He is extolling the one who is most worthy of praise. He's making his intention in life known. And implicitly in this, he's summoning all of us to that praise. He's telling us all implicitly, join with me in praising forever and ever, in in extolling and praising and blessing our God and our King. Because that's who he's calling for praise, is of the King. David, himself King, at this point, knows who is the only true King. And he's captivated by him. He's captivated by God. God's name is to be praised forever. And you notice that. He says, I'll bless your name forever and ever. Now, this doesn't mean we merely just repeat his name over and over and over. So it was a way of speaking about God's nature and reputation, what had been developed or, or garnered through his works. You see, reputations are gained. Um, I, I don't watch the NBA anymore, but if you watched it when you were, most of you, well, all of you were younger because it was before now, but when I watched it in the late 80s and early 90s, there was a team that had the reputation of the bad boys. Okay, some of you probably know who that is. It's the Detroit Pistons because they didn't take junk off anybody. If you went into, like, the NBA today is completely different, but if you went into the lane, Bill Lane Beer or Mahorn or some of these other guys would lay you out. Back in the day when it was Jordan and Bird and the bad boys, you got touched every game pretty hard, and they earned that reputation of the bad boys. If you say the bad boys to anybody who has any knowledge of the NBA, they know exactly who you're talking about, and they could probably name the entire lineup of the Detroit Pistons. The name was synonymous for who they were. It was synonymous for their character. God also has a reputation with his name, but his is actually praiseworthy. That, that name, bad boys, isn't necessarily praiseworthy, but his is completely praiseworthy. And not only that, the subject of that praise, of of who he is, what what has garnered that reputation for everlasting praise is actually unsearchable. Now, when David says it's unsearchable, that doesn't mean that he's like, don't even bother. It's it's not even permitted to search after it because it's unsearchable or that that, that it's futile. What it means is that we will never reach an end to our search. We will never be able to exhaust the greatness of God. So as a pastor or as any other Christian, we should never hear somebody else say, well, I've got that down. I've heard this before. I'm, I'm good. No, you don't. You don't have it down. His greatness, his character, his, his, his person, it is unsearchable. 
It's beyond the ability of humanity to fully grasp God and his greatness. But yet we can and we ought to to seek it out and, and we ought to, with that, pass down the evidence and accounts of his acts. We ought to pass down his reputation. We should speak of creation, of the exodus, of the sun standing still in the sky, of, uh, of David, of Daniel and his friends standing firm in the face of, of a pagan uh, society and, and of God's faithfulness to them, of, of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. We should be passing those things down and sharing them with one another. That is what we should be to do. That's, look at verse 4. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness." See, David lays it out clearly that generation upon generation shall, okay, we are to do this, commend the works of the Lord to each successive generation. We read earlier the the reading of the law, Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you, you shall teach this on and on to your children. This is essential. Without it, folks, we are going to forget. If you don't pass it on, it will be forgotten. We have such a tendency to forget or to just assume that the next generation knows or that we know. And and we cannot do that. We cannot assume in our own lives because, folks, honestly, day to day, we forget the Lord and his works. And we certainly cannot assume truth is believed and known in others' lives. We see this world and it, this world doesn't necessarily scream the Lord is at work when we just you watch the news, you, anything. it's not screaming, hey, God is in charge and God is at work. Our eyes have been too often trained not to see through the lens of grace and the work of God. We have to be taught and trained. And another thing is, and, and this maybe is something that my, my wife and I have talked about, like when you get together with other believers, what's your conversation like? Like, are you just talking about, does does it sound exactly the same as everyone else? Are you asking one another, hey, what did you you learn about the Lord today? Or share with them, say, I I just read this amazing thing this morning. Can Can I share it with you? Like, we need to do that with one another. Let's not go through just talking about the weather or sports or whatever else and then walk away and you spend two hours with people and you're like, what did we talk about? Are we commending the works of God from generation to generation, from person to person as we're together? And folks, as we hear those works, as we see the splendor of God's majesty, as as we have them proclaimed to us, our response is not only praise, but David says it's meditation. Now, I actually don't believe we're very good as 21st century believers at meditation. We've somewhat lost the ability to, to even read a long-form article. If it's more than 140 or 280 characters, you're done. I mean, when, when there's an, a little acronym for too long, didn't read, that tells us something about our, our attention span. It's minuscule in many ways. In 2022, you know what? The average American reached for their phone 96 times a day. 
Now, if you figure just waking hours, that's every 10 to 12 minutes. And I was listening to another podcast on social media that the average adult, okay, so this means that anyone under 18 doesn't count in this, spends two and a half hours on social media a day. What do you think is discipling you? How often do you spend in conversation about God? You get, what, an hour and 15 minutes here? I'm, the church is already behind in one day based on an average. We have to be sharing this with one another. We do not linger well. This is a skill that would behoove us to relearn, to, to learn to sit away from distraction, to put things away with an open Bible and think upon and read over and over the words of life and pray that the author of those words would open our eyes and our hearts to behold him more and more clearly. Get up and go sit on your porch with just your Bible and a cup of coffee or juice or whatever it is. Don't pick your phone up first thing. There's a lot of different things, but, but we have to learn to meditate and to linger. And as we meditate then on the person of God and his works, particularly those works that David points out, they will speak of God's might. They display them in his, his might in, in, the, in their awesome deeds. They'll pour forth the fame of his abundant, absolutely abundant goodness. There's a devotional translation by a commentator, Alec Moitier, and in verse 7, he, he writes it this way, the remembrance of that abundant thing, your goodness, they will pour out. That abundant thing, God's goodness is abundant. Now, as I, as I read these verses, one of, the, one of the things that's a little bit interesting here is the they, if, if you look at it, the they, will, they're the ones speaking. Who is the They. Is it the works of God or is it the people of God? And you know what my answer is going to be if you've been around me for a while. Yes, it's both. It's both. I think there's some decided ambiguity here. God's works certainly speak, but so do his people. Look, look, think of uh, Psalm 19, his day-to-day uh, -day and night-to-night. -night, the creation pours forth speech of the glory of God, but so do his people. We ought to. The witness of his works should never end. His works point to his greatness like a spotlight shines on the lead in a stage play. But more importantly, these, all of these, these works and the people proclaim God's abundant goodness and his righteousness. Folks, the Lord, the, the, our king, does not have a supply chain issue when it comes to goodness. Not, he, he doesn't run out. He, he's not missing a, an essential ingredient that's mined in some other country. He is abundant in goodness. And his righteousness, his concern to set matters straight will never change. And then, you know, as we move on in the psalm, verses 8 and 9, it's the Lord's own declaration of his character. This too is the basis of the praise. Not merely his works, but his character. Though The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. Now by now, many of you should be able to tell me where that's pulled from. Where verse 8 comes from. It's from Exodus 34, 6. 
and Moses and his, encou- uh, yeah, his encounter with the Lord as, as he proclaims his name. And it's interesting, when you, when you take these two verses, I was, uh, actually I heard it this morning as I was listening a little bit to a, an Alistair Begg message, but also uh, just in, in reading about it, this points to Jonah actually a little bit. I, I know that sounds a little odd at the moment, but Jonah would have done well to have truly meditated on all of this, on verses 8 and 9. Because if you remember, he goes, to, he goes to Nineveh after he doesn't go to Nineveh, and then he proclaims, and then he gets mad because the Lord relents, um, because the people repent. And he gets mad, and he goes out and pouts, and then the Lord, uh, you know, causes a scorching east wind, but then causes a, a plant to grow up, but then a, a worm comes and dies, and, and Jonah's like, woe is me, all this kind of stuff. And the Lord asks him, and, and, and talks to him, and, and Jonah says this. It says in, in Jonah chapter 4, verse 1, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry, and he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. He knew verse 8. Jonah quoted back God's character to him, but not approvingly. So the Lord rebuked him for his attitude, for his heart, and had even given him that object lesson and then added further something that relates to verse 9, verse 11 of Jonah 4. God says, and should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. It's like, you're concerned for this plant. Shouldn't I be concerned? Shouldn't I be concerned? Good to all. My mercy is over all that I have made. You know, another thing with this is sometimes, sadly, we know the character of God, but we don't always love it. When it deals with people we don't like or others, we, we might actually flinch at the character of God because at that point in time, I'm going to say we've become too in tune with the ethics of this world rather than the ethics of Scripture, rather than the ethics of God. And so, as I've already said, we would do really well to linger over who God is, to meditate upon Him, on His character and His works and His ways, and pray that God would shape us, pray that He would, as we looked at in Psalm 86, that He would unite our hearts to fear His name, that we would walk in His truth, that we would love His truth, Well, then we go to verse 10. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. I hope in this you're starting to... I know it's almost 90 outside, but you're starting to feel the snowball effect in the psalm, okay? It's, it's rolling down the mountain, and it's growing and growing. It just keeps going on God and his greatness and our response of praise. God's works and, and saints, those who have had his spirit work within them, which is every single true believer, will bless and thank the Lord. The fact of the spirit working in our lives to make us alive Folks, that's, that alone is reason to praise him forever and ever. That, 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 that he's taken sinners, like you and me, 
from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, to the kingdom of his beloved son, that alone is reason for us to praise forever and ever. That we've been saved from an eternity separated from the goodness of God. We're into his everlasting kingdom. And so our works and, and our voices should speak of the glory of your kingdom. Tell of your power, make known to the children of man your mighty deeds. You listen to that. That's actually a, a missionary call to us. Speak, proclaim. We're to tell others to make it known to them the deeds and the ways of the Lord. And of course, the greatest deed we can tell, the greatest work of the Lord is the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Christ. And what he's done for people like you and me. Let's go on. Let's read the rest of the psalm, all but the, the final verse. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you. And you give them their food in due season. You open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. Now, If you look at verse 13b, so the one in brackets in most of your Bibles, and then 17, these verses speak directly to um, God's divine qualities, to his character, qualities that come up throughout the verses that are around this from 13 through, through 20. And I want you to notice one thing that's repeated in those two verses. It's that second phrase, kind in all his works. Just ponder that for a minute. Sit and stop and think. Maybe repeat it over and over in your head a second. God is kind in all his works. He's kind in all his works. He's kind in all his works. In all his works, he's kind. There is no time. None in God's working where he is not kind. No time where he's harsh, where he's short, where he's quick-tempered. No time where he's unloving. I think we're called to conform to his image. I wish I could go through a day where I could say, Chad was kind in all his works. And I, I'm going to guess this and make a very strong and I think accurate prediction. Not a one of us can say this. Even the nicest of you cannot say it. Because even if your outward works looked really good, my guess is maybe you're doing it for the wrong reason. Or you've got some bitterness in your heart or something. Now, hopefully we're growing in it. <laughs> We want to do that, but, but I just think about that. This is part of lingering. This is part of meditating. I mean, just think about meditating on that, that the Father, the Creator, the Sovereign King is kind in all His works. 
turn that into a prayer. Lord, would you make me more and more kind in all my works? Would you work that in me? Would you help me see where I'm unkind? And may I repent? May I confess that? Could I put that to death and put on kindness? Clothe yourselves with kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. Those type of things as it starts to come out. This is where knowing who God is helps us see ourselves. And it guides our prayers and our pursuits as we're to be more like him. And we, we can see where we are, that, uh, that display of unkindness. And we, we do confess and we endeavor by his strength to more and more reflect his character. That's five words out of this wonderful psalm that could sit and we could meditate on that for days. But there's a lot more here. Just look at how many times he uses all in these verses. He upholds all the falling, raises up all the bowed down. He gives strength to uh, his weak people. Psalm 29, 11, the Lord sits enthroned. The Lord gives strength to his people. You know, in our weakness, he is strong. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10. And then he's satisfied. He provides for those who look to him, who hope in him. And you think about that and you, maybe you think forward to, to Matthew chapter 6. And the, uh, the, the lilies of the field and the birds of the heaven. And at the end of chapter 6, and starting verse, 20, uh, verse 31. Therefore, the Lord says, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. But the Lord is also righteous in all his ways. The Lord is also discerning. He looks to all who call on him in truth. He's near to those who pray. This is not just a closeness in terms of proximity, okay? It's not just he's in the same zip code as you. But this is, this is nearness in, in terms of friendship. There's a friend that sticks closer than any brother. And he fulfills the desires of those who fear him. Which their desires, as, as, as we fear him, are going to be conformed more and more to who he is. He preserves all who love him. I think of Psalm 121 and how many times it repeats, the Lord is your keeper. The Lord keeps you. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade. But it still says, but all the wicked he will destroy because he is still righteous. And he still deals with that which is evil. Folks, I think across the board in the psalm, but especially these last verses, for David to speak them, one, he's inspired by God, he's inspired by the Spirit, but I think it also requires a great deal of confidence to speak this. Confidence in God and in his knowledge of him. The, 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 saying these words require knowing him and growing in that knowledge, know, knowing him intimately and personally, and seeing him at work in, in others' lives as well as your own. And so then as those, those truths grow more and more in us, as we're more and more conformed to him, as we proclaim them to one another, as we have them proclaimed to us, as we rehearse them, as we meditate upon them, it enables us to live more and more freely and fully in this broken and sinful world when we know who our God is. 
yes, we, 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 we do still face afflictions. We looked at that last week. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Many. But it does not mean that God is not near or that he doesn't hear. Even though often we, we default to that. Well, the Lord's far from me when I run through trouble. But he's with us. The truth is he will provide, he will work all things for the good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. God, listen, God is a promise-keeping God, abundant in goodness, whose righteousness never changes. And so the psalm ends with David's resolve. He will praise the Lord. Here's the final word of David in the Psalter. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh Bless his holy name forever and ever. David's committed to this. David knows his God. He will do this, but he also calls for all flesh, for all mankind, every living thing throughout all eternity to praise the Lord. This anticipates what we had for our call to worship. The the final psalm, Psalm 150 and verse 6, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So then here's the question. What difference does this make? Why does this matter? Okay, yeah, so we can talk about God's goodness, God's faithfulness. Why is there a psalm and and many more dedicated to the character and works of the Lord and of the response of, of, of praise from David and his calling others to join in? I think I've already hit on this. I've alluded to it. I've probably been fairly specific. But... Why and how would you call on a God you don't know? Why would you? And how would you? Who would you know to call? You know, I I picture maybe like an orphan in an orphanage. They stop crying out because there's not someone there to come to them. But we can cry out because we have a God who hears. Would you call on a God you thought was merciless and cruel? Would you worship him? Would you go to a God like that in your your pain and in your need? No. No, you wouldn't. You wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that. But when you know who God actually is, that he is a God who is near to those who call on him, that he is kind in all his works, that he's a God who does not um, uh, you know, break the bruised reed or snuff out the smoldering flax, that he is a God like that, that he raises up the humble, that those who bent under a heavy load can come to him, that he calls and says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, that he preserves those who love them. That, folks, that should change. That should change how we live in the day-to-day and how you confront this dark world and how you live in it. And then consider this. When did David write this? David's greater son had not yet come to earth. But, But we know him. We know of Jesus, of Emmanuel, of God with us. And when you see him and the truths of the psalm fulfilled in him and God who took on flesh, it draws you in. 
Think of the beginning of John's gospel. And the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Verse 9, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, in his reputation, and all that he's done, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the one who's near to us. Not only that, for believers, we have been baptized into Christ. We are in him, alive in him. God is unsearchably great. There is no doubt there. But yet that unsearchably great God humbled himself and took on flesh to dwell with us in order to save us from our heaviest load of all, from our sin and rebellion against him. Folks, this is what we would do very well to remember. This whole psalm, who Jesus is. To remember it daily, to meditate upon it, to speak it to one another, to speak words of life, to declare it to those around us, to generation upon generation. So this is my desire, that we would all see and know not only the works of God, but the God who works and who does so, and who did so on our behalf. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your work in our lives. Thank you for the psalm. We thank you for who you are. Thank you for Christ. We thank you for the work of the Spirit on our life. Lord, would you give us hearts to know you more and more? hearts to walk with you, hearts to, to meditate upon you, to linger over who you are. Lord, free us from the distractions of this world that we would pursue you along with those who call upon the Lord from a pure heart. Work this in us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.